Blau und Weiß ein Leben lang. Hallo meine Leute, wie geht's? Willkommen zum das einzige Schalker Podcast auf Englisch und das Saisonfinale. Uh, that's right, folks, officially the world's only English Schalker Podcast and the season finale. I'm your host, Richard Carmen. Thank you for tuning back to our show. This has been a tumultuous year, but you're all still here, which means you guys are true fans and some of the greatest fans in the world, many of whom who speak English. This pod aims to bring you the latest from the Royal Blues, recap the season that was, and look ahead to what's to come. As always, joining me on the show is co-host Jack Mangan. Jack, how are we doing, my friend? Thank God that's over with. <laughs> with the intro or the uh, the season? <laughs> <laughs> Not the intro. Talking about the season. That, fa- that was a fantastic intro, my friend. Um, yeah, just just glad that season's over with. We could put that behind us. Uh, you know, put the finishing touches on it tonight with this episode, and then uh, hopefully look forward to uh, better and brighter things to come for the club. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we this is the season finale, and we tend to have people on. And so we brought in Shaka Outlaw himself, Mr. Dave Lee. Dave, how are we doing, man? What's going on, fellas? Thanks again for the invite. It's good to be back. I can't uh, mirror Jack's comments quite enough. You know, thank God it's over. <laughs> Hopefully for bigger and better things in next campaign. But yeah, excited to be back on, guys. Thanks for having me. No, hey, we're glad to have you on. And uh, Dave, tell our listeners what you've been up to over the last uh, since the seven months ago since we last spoke. Yeah, it's been a while since I've been on here. I appreciate you guys inviting me back on, and uh, always love checking out your your guys' podcast week in and week out. But you know, in the interim, man, I've just been following you know my favorite clubs here domestically in the United States, also uh, rounding out the Premier League season, but trying to get in a few extra Bundesliga games at the end of the year. You know, I as you guys are, you know, try and focus mostly on the Schalke matches, but on those off days, trying to pick up and and trying to see what's out there in the Bundesliga that perhaps the the club in the future can pick up on. So over the last seven months, man, just hanging out, been doing my podcast again, uh, The Waves of Tech. It's a technology podcast. And, yeah, just sticking with that, and things have been going good, man. So thank you for asking. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, Jack, uh, as customary on the, our latest Twitches here, what are you drinking tonight? I'm going with some uh, Jefferson's Reserve, a lovely, lovely bourbon. Um, not drinking straight out of the bottle. I don't know why I showed the bottle as opposed to... There we go. Well, we are talking Chalka. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, going with some bourbon tonight. I, I did the uh, the Velton's Pilsner last time to try to be on brand, but I right. think I'm out of those at the moment, so i got to restock on that. Right on, right on. I am drinking uh, Gentleman Jack. Neat. Uh, Dave, are you drinking anything tonight with us? I am. You guys can hopefully see this. I am drinking the 10-year Glen Morangi, oh, which yeah. is a, a, a Scottish Highlands neat as well, so... Uh, Cheers to an end of a season. So I'm looking forward to having having some of these with you guys tonight. Cheers, and uh, look look at Dave bringing some class into our podcast. What are you doing, man? <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> nothing but the finest. We have a reputation here, okay? Oh <laughs> uh, well, uh, gentlemen, let's get uh, right into this. Let's get the let's get the last game out of the way. Uh, we played Stuttgart. Uh, I don't know what guys were expecting from this game. Uh, luckily, this was not a uh, winner take all for the relegation. Uh, we we secured our safety uh, a couple weeks prior, so 
Um, zero zero game. Not much to really talk about in the game. Are we really surprised by the scoreline, Jack? I'll start with you. No, not at all. I mean, this is. We had built this match up for a while over the past couple months because it had the potential to be a highly dramatic ending to the season if Schalke's, uh, you know, Bundesliga safety was still in doubt and they had to go up against the team immediately below them to figure out who was going to be in that relegation playoff spot. Uh, fortunately for my heart um, and everyone else's, I think, uh, <laughs> my doctor was pleased with that. No, yeah, we, we locked that up ahead of time. So it kind of took some of the, the drama of what, what what could have been in this in this last match. But, um, yeah, if you were a neutral turning into the, tuning into this one, why? I mean, <laughs> I mean, just I, I don't think anyone should be surprised with the scoreline. And if you were, I that, that's entirely on you because I don't know what you were doing watching this match in the first place. Yeah, Dave, it's it's it, you know, there's nothing on the line in this matchup. Stuttgart's fate's already been decided, as have Schalke. Uh, we saw some uh, we saw some youngsters in the lineup. Let's get into the lineup, Dave, and I'll get your reaction on them. Um, we'll, we'll just look at Schalke's here. Uh, the starting lineup, you obviously had Alexander Nubel. Then you had George Timoteo, the Australian, playing defense with uh, Stambouli and McKenney. Sebastian Rudy in the midfield uh, with Bujaleb, Uchipka, Serdar, Kalajiri, and then Bergstaller and Mbolo um, rounding that out. And as well on the bench, I mean, you had guys like Viman, Matando, Langer, um, Harit, obviously, uh, Toykert, Konoplyanka back in the, in the, on the bench, and then uh, Sasha Ritter. So uh, what were your thoughts with uh, with the names that we hadn't seen so much this season? Uh, was it good to see a couple of guys we, we've heard about but not seen, or was it just like, eh, whatever? You know, it was – I kind of follow your guys' suit where it's kind of, you know, it's last game of the season, last 90 minutes just to round out. Hopefully, you know, we, we show up and at least have a decent performance. The crowd and the supporters can get behind everybody. And, you know, props, first of all, to the Shaka supporters, man. That stadium was rocking, that 62,000 they had plugged yeah. in there. They're awesome. Uh, such an impressive atmosphere, man. If if anything, it was worth tuning in to listen to them. But it was, you know, frustrating again when you look at the lineup and see West McKinney shove there in the back line as right back. It's it's been frustrating to see him court, sort of placed in and around the the pitch all year. But it was good to see uh, George right there in the center back playing his his debut and getting a full ninety minutes. Um, you know, representing the the, the uh, country of Australia. That was really cool. Yeah. But I think I think moving forward, I think you know from you know from um, Serdar and, and moving forward, it wasn't anything that was unexpected. But again, I, I'm kind of with you guys where it was just a game that just had to be played. You know, it, I mean, it's great that we rounded out the end of the season with six points. But at the end of the day, this was simply, as you said, you know, our fates were already sealed. We knew exactly what was going to happen. A goal or two would have been nice, you know, kind of sent off the supporters with with a, a little bit more positive you know, affirmation of how the season ended. But if any game sort of su- summarized the entire season of Schalke, that game was probably it. Yeah, uh, there's no doubt about it. The season was uh, far from... Uh, disappointment is not even, like... That's a nice way of putting it, really. I mean, compared to last year, we, the, the height that we re- reached at, you know, coming in second place... Uh, we had such high hopes this season. Uh, I was a crazy one saying we're going to win the Bundesliga title. I feel terrible now about saying that, saying that we almost got relegated too. Uh, but I mean, yeah, t- today, people- today was the Monday where everyone's uh, Bundesliga table predictions were going around on Twitter, and everyone was making fun of each other for how awful those were. So that's why I was uh, luck- quiet because I would have been the last yeah, yeah. with everyone. Luckily, you didn't post yours to Twitter because I think you would have got some for that. Oh but. my goodness. Yeah, no, it was terrible. Uh, and most people had Schalke at least in the Europa League uh, this season. 
I don't think there are too many people that said they were going to miss out. And the season that we had is just uh, it's it's hard to imagine. I mean, what where did it go wrong? I mean, is it it's it you know Tedesco losing the team? Is it you know a lot of people were trying to say that you know even started last year when you got rid of uh, the stalwart of the team like who is this? This year you're getting rid of Ronaldo. Um, is it because we're losing the locker room with with uh, with the senior players that you know can teach the youngsters or? Where do you think it went wrong this season, guys? So, Jack, I'll start with you. Yeah, it's tough to say, uh, given the success that Tedesco had early on in this first campaign uh, with the club. I think I think maybe part of it had to do with uh, the different approach he kind of took early into the season and then abandoned pretty quickly. Um, it, it definitely seemed as though they had been working on some different ways of playing and different emphasis in, in, in the summer than going into the season. And after a couple bad results, Tedesco kind of abandoned that and reverted to how he was playing previously, which I think it, it's possible some of the league was then a little bit more prepared for because they had seen it the season before. I also think that, as you mentioned, getting rid of some of the more important figures, both in the dressing room and everything, probably didn't have a positive impact on that. Getting rid of Naldo, getting rid of Hervidez, getting rid of uh, potentially demoting Fairman at some point. Although, I mean, I, I think that relationship seems to be on okay terms at least. But um, yeah, this was a this was a team with a lot of new people to the club and a lot of young people. And sometimes there's maybe a lack of professionalism or a lack of understanding for you know what the club is about and and. Slowly getting rid of some of those more important figures definitely could have contributed to that. But, um, I mean, overall, e- even with all of that being said, I mean, I don't think anyone could have anticipated that it would have gone as, as poorly as it did. And it, it's really hard to figure out why, because there's still a decent chunk of that team that was involved in, in finishing second last season. Um, I mean, you and I talked at length last year about how we definitely felt like they overachieved and that you know, just the number of set piece goals and decisions that went their way added up. And we, we were able to squeeze a bunch of wins out of that team that maybe they wouldn't have had. But, you know, it, to me, that was like, yeah, maybe, maybe we regressed to Europa league or something like that. Maybe we're sitting at like seventh at the end of the season, not, not 15th. So right. it was, it was, it was surprising. And I, I certainly don't have, don't have all the answers for that. Dave, let me bring you in here. Are your sentiments more along the lines of Jack or are you seeing it uh, another way perhaps? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I, I can agree with what, what Jack is saying. I think part of when you look at what our campaign last year when we finished second, obviously very lucky. We I think last year we were very opportunistic, right? We we got our our set pieces, goals when we needed it. We got our corner kicks. We capitalized on all those moments we had to make a big play. And I think you think back to this year of how many opportunities we missed. I mean, you can look back just on the season. We only overturned one deficit all year. And that's not the identity we want as a club, and that's not, definitely not an identity the players want. So you look at not taking not taking those opportunities to really capitalize one on the goals to hold the lead or even even hold a clean sheet. But then you couple that with the likes of Hamza Mendel really didn't work out for us this year. We even see Alessandro Schulf. He went out with injuries for an extended period of time. Stambouli. And I think once you lose Naldo and you lose like Kilo Terror, it's one of those things where you start to have your identity eroded a little bit. And, and as people cannot show up and perform at the level they want, plus you throw in the mix of turmoil with the manager. And is he trying to overcomplicate things? Is he trying to compensate for what he did last year and, and trying to figure out ways to at least you know work on the formation? And we saw that. And I just don't think throughout the year, guys, that we really had a true identity 
this year as far as, far as a style of play or an energy that we did last year, which resulted in such a high finish. And I think you look at so many of those problems. I mean, you guys have talked about here, and we know Bentaleb and Anka just didn't have the years they've had, and they've had issues with them not taking the professional approach with their language, um, you know, as, as professionally as they should. I think it's hard to really balance and pinpoint one thing. So you kind of have to layer it and look at, okay, these are the four or five things that really caused the demise of Shaka this year. And it's, and it's forced the hand of, you know, some firings and a new manager coming along the way. No, those are, those are excellent points. And, you know, it's, it's crazy that we are talking about guys who are missing their language classes, uh, having dis- discipline issues, going to clubs, you know, out in Porto, what have you. Um, it's not. It's at some at some point we we seem to lost the plot. Now we the players lost the plot, um, and whether that's because it was too lackadaisical, you know, behind the scenes at, at shock with Tedesco, or or I don't know what it is. Um, it's it's really hard to pinpoint something. But you know, fact of the matter is, for the most part, the guys did not live up to their what they could do. They did not play as well as they should. And, and a, a great uh, representation of that is look how well the guys played uh, against Dortmund, right? Completely different team than we saw all season, and then also uh, the week uh, a couple weeks later uh, they played really well. But for the most part, the guys were never hustling for the ball. Anytime it's a fifty-fifty, the other team would always get it. Anytime it's a uh, a loose ball, whether it's in the air for a, for a corner or something like that, the other team would get it majority of the time. Yeah, you had you know the, the outliers like McKinney or Salisane who would arise above everyone, but uh, for the most part, we were not hustling, uh, not near enough. Um, and I think at least in my my perspective is maybe the inconsistency of the team sheet right uh we never had the same starting lineup like you guys are saying uh, it's constantly being rotated and it's hard to uh get a consistency with a team when your team's constantly rotating with different players different positions McKinney played freaking every position but goalie this year so um it's hard to build chemistry i think that way yeah the guys were tight right yeah i mean you get rid of goretzka and meyer who have been at the club for a number of years and were massive parts of that squad last year you kind of overhaul the entire midfield it's it's difficult to get that continuity you could tell that Tedesco was searching desperately for a winning formula um but for whatever reason we just was never able to lock one in and, and as you say when, when the squad is in flux that much week to week you combine injuries on top of that you know we had periods of time where we had like no strikers available um I mean the first version of the Revere Derby you had Hamza Mendo and Weston McKinney up top like <laughs> like Aaron, we shouldn't be surprised that we weren't successful in that situation. So, yeah, it's just it's it's a lot of different things, and it's 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 mind blowing to look back on it. I mean, like when you think about where we were, um, just in our discussions on this podcast a year ago, um, and then even throughout the summer because we we believed in a lot of the moves that were made. Um, it, it's just crazy how we <laughs> ended up here. Yeah, and it's uh, funny. We actually got a Twitch here from Spin70, and, and they say, both this year and last year we had a problem connecting passes and scoring in the run of play. We can't be surprised by the results this year, and, it, and it's, it's 100% true. Uh, last year, we kept talking about it. We're right, like Jackie said a couple minutes ago, you know, we knew last year this was not a successful, you know, to, to rest our hopes and laurels on penalty kicks and corner kicks to get us results week in and week out. That's not sustainable. Uh, we were riding Lady Luck for a good portion of the season. The defense was fantastic, but this year it just, uh, Lady Luck caught up to us. Uh, Dave, um, Spin 70 had it right, didn't they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's been anything but a pleasant season, and you you can't you can't rest on 
producing the same results week after week and, and not expecting teams to come out and tactically approach it that way. And I, I think it's just been a mess of a season. I think anything from lineup changes to, you know, everything in between. I mean, I mean, we can go on for hours about what went wrong this year. And but yeah, I the the viewer had it right on the nail right there. It's perfect. So, uh, Tedesco, obviously, with all the results, the horrible results were kept going and going. I mean, uh, obviously, we didn't start the season off that great. We had five losses in a row, uh, very similar to the Vinesville era. But uh, I think what was the teetering point, I mean, many of us were trying to hold on for dear hope, you know, behind Tedesco saying, now he's got to be the guy. We we have faith in him. Uh, there's a lot of optimism that we see in him, and, and he's got the he – he knows how to talk to the players. But eventually, too much was – Way too much. I mean, look at the string of results that we had at the end of the season, um, ending with uh, with the loss of City. So you had a three nothing loss uh, to to Mainz. That's that's a terrible loss. Four uh, nothing loss to Dusseldorf, who he had beaten just a couple months prior, four uh, one. And then we lost to Bremen four two. And then the big one was against Man City, losing by a touchdown seven nothing. So uh, something had to be done. We had to go back and old hat someone who we were familiar with, one of the club legends, Hoop Stevens. He came in to try to right the ship. Um, a lot of people, uh, and, and I'll be honest, I remember reading the Twitter, people thought he was going to save our season in the sense that we're going to rise back up on the table. I mean, I could see why they said that, but there was nothing. If you look at all the the way the players were performing the season, the way the team had been performing, there's nothing there that would have told you that it doesn't matter who was coming in. It could have been Pep Guardiola. We were not going to change too much of how – uh, how we were playing and the results were not going to change too much, were they? Jack? We had a lot of discussion over the course of the season. And I mean, this debate to some extent continues to this day over who is responsible for what happened. Was it Tedesco? Was it the players? Uh, I think some of Hoop Stevens' comments throughout his tenure have been telling in the sense that he's, he's suggested that there's a lack of professionalism and a lack of focus, um, and yeah. people not taking training seriously, and that kind people of thing. People not fit. Yeah, that that's just going on in the squad right now, and it, it's just it's very confusing to hear that because that is not you wouldn't have associated any of those comments with the team last year, and I don't I don't know if it's Tedesco's fault for somehow letting that get out of hand, or or what what went on exactly behind the scenes, but. Um, it definitely seems like there was some sort of dramatic culture shift season to season, which is it, which is rare that it gets that out of whack that quickly. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I, luckily Hoop Stevens was able to get enough results to keep us where we wanted to be. I mean, I certainly Just didn't enough. expect <laughs> us to. Yeah, I certainly didn't expect us to rise up the table or anything. But I mean, ultimately he got the job done and and did what I think he was appointed to do, which is just kind of like hold you know tread water and, and make sure that we were playing in the Bundesliga next season and get an opportunity to, to retool and prepare for next year yeah I think with the end of the season guys I mean 10 points from the final 10 matches I mean nothing to write home about but it absolutely saved us but I am I'm, I'm with you Jack where I think Tedesco shoulders a lot of that blame but at the same time what are these players doing? Like we've talked about where the professionalism honestly needs to start with them. They're professional athletes playing in one of the top German Bundesliga clubs in history. And where is their focus? Where is them? Where where is their mentality? Why aren't the players themselves holding each other accountable? I mean, you can look at the sporting director. You can look at the directors, the, the managers, the assistant coaches and everything. But at some point that needs to be shouldered by the players and say, we need to step up. We need to hold each other accountable 
I don't know if we ever heard that. As you said, Hoob Stevens comes in and says we lack that professionalism. I don't know who that's shoulder to blame. Maybe it's a 50-50 split. But, you know, luckily he was able to come in at least direct the ship, you know, from crashing into an iceberg, you know, but eventually it essentially just got us enough focus to get us through the rest of that season. And yeah, that four, what is that, four or five game losing streak that you mentioned? Yeah. Um, Richard, it was just, it was miserable to watch. It was absolutely miserable. And we thought the first five games, first five matches we lost in the season were terrible. And you look at that run, it was, it was hard yeah. to watch as a player. It was, or as a fan. We were getting battered. Oh, it was, it was. We were competitive the first five matches of the year. Those, that losing streak, we were not competitive at all. Um, it, it's going to be interesting to see, because, you know, we talk about Tedesco feeling the consequences of, the performance because at the end of the day it is a results driven business despite how much we all like Tedesco I think as a person and as a figurehead for the club you don't get results you're not going to last long um you know I think some of the players you can talk about Bentaleb and Harit and, and the disciplinary issues with Mendy and everything that went on I think a lot of those players have escaped those consequences so far it's going to be interesting to see if that catches up with them this summer and how many of those guys are going to be kept around by the club and how many of them are going to be shipped out and uh maybe they'll be spending part of the summer looking in the mirror and, and, and asking themselves if they could have done more, if they were really as professional as they needed to be. Yeah. Every, every footballer is, it's not just what you do on the field. It's, it's what your manager's talking about. It's what your agent tells other teams. It's there. There's a lot more image that goes on just than stats and how you play. And I think Jack, you're exactly right. I think some of these players could feel the wrath of how they conducted themselves in a window. One of our viewers uh, brings up a good point, and he says, you know, do you think the lack of player professionalism is a function of players being asked to play in positions, roles that they didn't feel comfortable with? Uh, Weston McKinney, for example, played, like we said, every position. He ended a season at right back for the most part, or center back, whatever you want to call it. We all think, oh, at least Dave and I, uh, uh, Jack and I think that he's probably more suited in like a 10 role or an attacking midfield role, like a number eight. Uh, Dave, what what kind of position do you feel is best suited for a player like McKinney? Yeah, I shadow you guys 100%. It's it when when I see McKinney on that right back or right center back, I my heart just breaks. Like honestly, it, it's disheartening to see a player of his talent. Yes, he is talented. He can play multiple positions, but that is not his God-given position. Like he should be, you know, that eight or ten spot. He should be being able to spray that ball work right in front of the 18-yard the box and, and create some havoc. And the whole game, you just saw him in a very reserved capacity. And I'd say probably most of the year, because Tedesco was tinkering, Stevens has been tinkering with the lineup, he has just been a player that we just haven't seen the best of in this year. Maybe last year, yes, absolutely, he, he's a threat, both through the midfield with his decisive passing, also on, on set pieces, he's a threat. We, on, a, on a corner is a header, and we just didn't see the the McKinney of what we know and what he's capable of. And I think part of that, to comment on the viewers, is that, yeah, I think there's a bit of comfort. Yes, these guys are professionals. They study, and they know how to play these positions. But at the same time, you got to put your players in a position to succeed. And I don't know, having McKinney at a right back or, or, or right center back is a, a position he's going to succeed in, regardless of his, his, his uh, skill set. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much that affects the the professionalism although i guess i would say if you're somebody like mark oot who comes in thinking you're going to be the guy up front and trying to bring this team goals 
that they didn't have last year, and that's the role you're expecting to play. And then within a couple weeks, you're suddenly dropping into the midfield where you're not in a position to end up on the back of chances. Yeah, you're probably upset about that. And maybe that contributes to, you know, a lack of confidence or, you know, all these things. Morale can play a, can play a big can play a big role. But, I mean, I completely agree with what they – I don't know if I'm – if I believe in, in natural positions as much as I used to believe in it, and I think a lot of it's contextual in terms of what people have prayed, played previously, that kind of makes us feel like that's what they should be playing. Right. But I, I think what we've seen, I mean, I, I do agree with David. I think what we've seen over the last couple of weeks in various matches is, and you brought this up on the last podcast, Richard, one of McKenney's greatest attributes is, is his aerial strength. Right. And when, when he's not, when he's playing in the back line as, you know, right center back or whatever in a back three, um, he's not in the middle of the park winning those aerial battles, getting us extra possessions and those sort of things. So you're neutralizing that. You saw in the Stuttgart match, there was a couple times where he, he he came up with the greatest individual runs of anybody on that team. He had a couple really, really good runs. He's like, and that's just because defense. he that's just cause he got bored right. and decided to do that. I mean, like, if he's in a midfield position, he's in a position to do that much more frequently. Also, he's got he's got great vision. Sees the field pretty well, can pick a good pass. I mean, his passing is not always the most accurate. You can talk about his touch issues or whatever, but like he has that ability too. And once again, if he's not on the ball and he's playing in defense, he's not able to do those things. So I don't think putting him there is maximizing um, some of his better attributes, and that's definitely a problem. Um, and and uh, it was interesting to see that Hoop Stevens, I guess, kind of agreed with Tedesco in using him that way because we saw that consistently yeah. from both managers. Um, whether or not David... Wagner will will change that will be interesting. I think a lot of people have hope that he will because of the American connection. And I know, I mean, Dave, you're a fellow member of the American Outlaws. I know there's a lot of people, you know, like you out there, myself included, who um, look at McKenney's position at Schalke as being detrimental to his potential with the U.S. men's national team because no one really expects him to be playing that role at at, at you know the international level. And so we, we'd like to see more continuity between club and international play and that's going to be you know a big storyline for his career going forward yeah one of my concerns is with mckinney is that he gets put in that very traditional very talented american midfielder that gets placed it right back in national level that is something we have seen for the usa national team time and time again when they need to find a player fabian johnson for example at one point he was a left winger in bundesliga boom throw him back to left back you know and it's something about an american midfielder in the Bundesliga, that when they come to the national team, they get pushed to the back line. And that's what I don't want to see is that movement of him playing that position in the Bundesliga because it's going to reinforce at the national level what he should be doing. And I I don't want to see that. So I'm hoping as Wagner comes in with his more aggressive pressing style of play, we get to see what McKinney is really all about. And that translates success for his club, also his country. And I think to back you up on that, um, I could be mistaken, but I, I mean, so the, the the Gold Cup 40-man preliminary roster, we're talking U.S. Men's National Team for a minute, not even though it's the Schalke podcast, the, <laughs> the U.S. Men's National Team preliminary 40-man roster for the Gold Cup was released today, and I believe that Tyler Adams was listed as a defender on that roster. And the reason, the reason for that, presumably, is because Yedlin is recovering from surgery from that injury he has, and so... The U.S. is looking like we don't have a right back. Tyler Adams has played that previously, and that would be a perfect example. Somebody who has been phenomenal in a midfield role for RB Leipzig getting forced into a right or left back position going forward for the, for the, you know, for the national team. Exactly. And it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it's not only for Weston McKinney. I mean, Benjamin Stambouli is not a defender. He is a midfielder. 
Um, he's probably his best games that I saw this season with him is when he actually played the the, the sixth position, and he's not the only. There's, there's plenty of guys around. One of the only guys on the team I thought, even though he had minimal action, uh, hashtag free Katuchu, uh Doesn't matter where he was on the pitch, he always seemed to do something right. He was a spark plug when he was out there. The ball came to his feet. He did something. He scored against Byron as a striker. Uh, he did some things as an attacking midfielder or winger or whatever in other games. Uh, I mean, he was in a doghouse with Hoop Stevens for whatever reason, but he seemed to be the only one who had some kind of spark uh, that could uh, do something for the team, and that's the one thing we were missing all season long is a spark. And then, whether that's people playing out of position or just people not playing to their potential, spark is what we were missing. And unfortunately, the one spark player we had towards the end was not getting on the pitch. And, and Harit would be another one. And I mean, what a lost season that was for him. He was kind of our X Factor last year. Obviously, it all started with. The issues after Morocco was eliminated from the Have World Cup. Have you seen Cup. a more meteoric player? Someone so fantastic last year and this completely fell off the map this year. I'm sure there's examples of that even in the Bundesliga recently. I can't think. I mean, none of them come to mind. I mean, maybe like Renato Sanchez or something, but that was more Frank like what he Santo. did on the international. <laughs> <laughs> stop. Stop it. Um, yeah, but I, mean, we, I agree with you. We, we were missing that that X factor a lot. Um, we just looked very pedestrian out there, and there was very rarely somebody on the pitch who looked like they could just make something happen on their own. Um, I mean, as good of a player as Daniel Calagiri is, if you're relying on him to be the primary creative force on your team, you probably have larger issues. 100%. I, I think the one thing, though, to talk about Calagiri since we're talking about him, I agree with you. We should not be relying on him to be the guy, the catalyst for the team. However, it seemed like whenever Caligiuri was on, our team was on. For some reason, he was the catalyst for the team. And when he was marauding down the right flank and sending those crosses in or, or doing those great set pieces, we were doing really well offensively, scoring goals or scoring a goal. Uh, the team looked much better with him in that. And it's, for some reason, he was that catalyst. And I don't understand why. He's not, I mean, he's a fantastic player. He's great in, his, in the Riviera Derbies, obviously. Uh, but it's not someone who you expect to be leading the team in situations. Uh, important for the season, uh, whether it is, um, you know, any game, you know, big big river derby or, or any game, he should not be the person who should be that that spark plug for the team. And he he was at times when he was on. Dave, let me know if you you know agree with this or not. But I think part of the problem for us this season was that uh, Caligiuri was asked to play a much more defensive role than previously. He wasn't free to get down get down the flanks and be that creative player in the final third that he was. And I think that's because the defense was worse than it was last year. Obviously, Naldo leaving midseason. And then, you know, Tilo Carrer was often he, – he was swapping with Stambouli last year in that right center back position in the back three. But when Tilo Carrer was in there, Tilo Carrer was a very athletic, you know, center back. And he can get up and down the pitch, has great recovery speed, that sort of thing. Um, you know, so that, I think, maybe freed up Caligiuri to get forward a little bit more with Stambouli playing that role for most of the year or other people that maybe aren't as comfortable in that position and other defensive frailties in general. I don't think Caligiuri had the freedom that he had last year so much. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, he's he's a guy who logged over 2,700 minutes for us, right? That's obviously he's he's a guy that needs to be on the pitch. He's one yeah. that was a creative force behind, I mean, much of everything he, he did. I'm not sure how many assists he had this year, but I know he had seven goals. He was very creative. But you're right. I mean, when you when you look at the way the team sets up, both you know as a starting eleven and tactically, you have to have those 
those athletic right backs that are able to recover if there's a mistake and also create some movement going forward. So that frees up the likes of Caligiri. The reason you mentioned like um, whether it was Kerr or even Weston McKinney making those runs, sort of a reinforcement for him, able allows Caligiri to, to, to find a little bit more space and be able to be a little bit more creative. And it, it's been an interesting year where he's been forced to play in a different role but he's adapted well to it, and I think for the most part, Schalke has benefited from that. But also, you 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 like to see him more of his more of his gifted position rather rather than sort of just finding a spot in that starting eleven just to try and eke out a win or a draw for the squad. Well said. And I, I think he only had three assists this season, but I feel like two of them were against Dortmund or something. So, but the goals is what, what, what was big, and even especially penalty kicks or free kicks as we saw in that Dortmund match. Um, you know, let's get away from a little this uh, this this uh, down talk. How it's hard not to because uh, the season we had finishing as low as we did. But uh, let's let's move over onto the best moment for you. It's going to be hard, guys. You have to log back your memories, look at the schedule, and start to find your best moment. I think we're going to be unanimous here. But uh, I'm curious for you guys, what is the best moment for you, uh, Dave? You're the guest. Let you go first. Well, I think there's very little – well, there's one thing, obviously, from the regular Bundesliga season, and that was the Riviera Derby 4-2 victory from April 27th. That is that is actually my second best second. moment. Because okay. Second, yeah, and only because I was excited of the Champions League and seeing the likes of Schalke in there and just being able to watch them play the likes of Galatasaray, Porto, and Lokomotiv and come away with a couple wins from there, that 2-0 win against Galatasaray – and also that win away to uh, Lokomotiv Moscow was, was great to see. I mean, we, we got a draw and a loss against Porto, but it was nice to see in those moments, especially Galatasaray, when we traveled there and get a draw at home for Galatasaray. I just, I, that was my moments this year where I was like, okay, this is why I follow the can be competitive play. Again, the season was anything but a reflection of what they did in Champions League. I'm going to forget about all the Man City stuff, the, what, 10-2 aggregate. <laughs> but it was, for me, it was watching them play at that level within the group stage, watching them win. And then, uh, obviously, the uh, the April Riviera Derby was was something to be to be very pleased and, and excited for. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty good. I like that. I like that shout. Jack, uh, how about you? January 31st, 2019. The day that Franco de Santa was sold to Rio Vallecano <laughs> is the, hi- <laughs> the highlight of the season. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he is. he's dead serious. Obviously, I think we're all unanimous that, that the, the Revere Derby ruining Dortmund's title chances in a very unexpected victory um, was definitely the highlight of the season. I think the other two. And there's not many issues from uh, – would, would just be – from the American perspective, because once again, this is three Americans sitting here on this on this Skype call right now. Uh, number one, Weston McKinney's winner in the Champions League yes. was an awesome moment. Um, didn't end up scoring as many goals this season as we hoped he would. Uh, I think he only had two all year. But uh, Weston McKinney scoring that winner was was an awesome moment. I remember I was I was streaming that sort of covertly at my desk at work because obviously we the Champions League games were like you know one or two o'clock for us. Um, and uh, when that happened, I, I jumped up and kind of like ran down 
the aisle between the cubicles and was fist pumping and people thought I was <laughs> nuts. Um, and then uh, secondarily, uh, the Weston McKinney assist to Haji Wright. Oh yeah. American American. For the American American connection. Uh, probably <laughs> one of the only good moments that Haji Wright had this season. Unfortunately, I, I think that we probably saw that the Bundesliga or at least the club of Schalke, um, despite their season is maybe a little bit too high for, for the quality that he has. Hopefully, you know, he, he continues to improve and everything, but that was a really cool moment for the American narrative and everything. Uh, you don't get to see that too often. It, it's it's rare enough that there's Americans at, at big clubs like Dortmund and Schalke that are getting regular minutes. And then it's it's a, another thing entirely to see an American assistant American. It's been a while since this happened, so that was really cool. Wow, that, 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 that's very good. Uh, I mean, nothing can beat the Franco de Santo, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, that was, that, that's good. Uh, I'm going to start with my... my there's the obvious one that we all talking about, but I'm gonna go with the, with the not so obvious first. My first uh, one is um, the feeling that we had, you know, going into the the, the two legs into Man City, right? Before we even played them, we were wondering could it, could we pull off the miracle, right? We knew that Tedesco is a tactician; he could probably maybe try to figure out Guardiola. Uh, we've seen Monaco do it in the past. We've seen other teams. City always seems to capitulate in the in, in the Champions League. So we thought there might be a chance, but we're like, nah, come on, it's Man City. We're going to get slobbered or creamed. Um, and we come out and have a 2-1 lead in the first half. And it's like, oh, my goodness, we're going to do it. We're going to do it. And then, obviously, the rest of the game happened. And, but the first half, that's that feeling, you know, going into halftime up 2-1. And everyone on Twitter was talking about Schalke and uh, and Man City because Schalke were going to pull off the miracle there. And then, obviously, we saw what happened in, in the rest of that game. But um, just that feeling that we're like, oh, my goodness, this could possibly happen. And so that was a brief, brief best moment for me. I mean, obviously the Riviera Derby, uh, not only beating Dortmund but ruining their title chances. Um, I thought that was good enough for me. But then, you know, after the last Bundesliga game, all the Dortmund fans came out and started, you know, railing on Schalke. And it's like, dude, we ended your, we ended your season, your title hopes. Get the hell out of here, man. Why do we care? We're not gonna care what you talk, what you talk about. We had a crap season. It doesn't matter what you say. So the fact that they're so bitter about. Uh, losing the title and then us beating them, that made my season even better, that moment of beating them in the Riviera Derby. So um, cheers, Dortmund fans. Suck it. <laughs> Shout out to Critty Smith. Hey, Critty. That's for you, babe. <laughs> All right. Well, we we talking best moments. Uh, we're, we're talking Schalke, so we got to talk the lowest moments. Um, that's We got a lot to choose from here. Where? What are your thoughts on uh, lowest points of the season for you? It doesn't have to be lowest point. This lowest point, whatever. Uh, Jack, I'll start with you this time. Yeah, the lowest moment for me. Um, we went on the road to Mainz, lost three 0 in what I thought was, and I still think was the worst performance from the team the entire season. Just in terms of like them you looking think? like they had so? absolute. I do. I think that was the worst match. I, th- I think just they, they looked like they had no idea what they were doing out there, what the game plan was. There was a real lack of effort, in my opinion. Um, the Mainz was just dominant in that match, completely outclassed. And that should not be a team that Schalke is getting outclassed by. But on the heels of that, you know, the, the conversation was, OK, surely that's going to light a fire under them and they're going to come yeah. out next week at home in front of the, you know, the Schalke faithful. And they are going to deliver a performance and, and and deliver a response that's going to, you know, make a statement. Well, we lost four 0 to Dusseldorf at home, 
uh, it, on the heels of that Mainz loss. And that, to me, was the lowest point in the season. It was in the, it was in the midst of this, like, I don't think it was five consecutive games, because I think we drew Freiburg in there in the middle of that at some point, but just, like, this yeah. massive losing streak. We have the worst performance of the season, and then our response to that worst performance is to lose by an even greater scoreline. I don't think it was as bad of an overall performance by the team as the Mainz one, but it was it was brutal. And I, I correct me if I'm wrong, I think that was the match where Tedesco then approached the Nord Curve, to apologize after that, at maybe Mainz. that was a later week. Yeah, was I, I forget. Is that Mainz? I thought no. I thought he, I thought it was after the Düsseldorf game oh, yeah, when he yeah, went you know, to the, you're right. you're at, at home because right. to, to the right. Nord Curve. Yes, you're right. And I just remember kind of c- contrasting that image of Tedesco just sort of like you know apologizing and, and pleading with the fans to the you know the celebrations after finishing second place the last game of last season and just how quickly those those two things can change like you know like a life comes at you fast kind of thing like here's Tedesco celebrating with the fans like leading the chance and less than a year later it's just the furthest possible thing you can imagine from that to me that was the lowest moment of the season and uh I mean one of the lowest moments I think maybe the lowest moment since I've been a been a supporter of the club how about you Dave I can't disagree with Jack at all on that. I mean, d- disappointing. I mean, seven goals against zero goals over that 180-minute that two-match game. And then to follow that up with the Verde Bremen match where, it, I mean, we, we put the goals in the back of the net. I mean, Embolo got a couple couple yeah. goals out of that. But at the same time, I, it, it's hard to look past Mainz and Dusseldorf it's, as – it's frustrating because at points during the first half of the campaign, we looked competitive. We were. We were in the games. Things weren't going our way. We weren't being opportunistic. Other teams were capitalizing when they needed to. But those two games, we looked absolutely dreadful. And you're right, Jack. I mean, the the span of 12 months as far as how high the opinion with the supporters and Tedesco to get to the point where he's directly apologizing to them. I, I'm I'm hard pressed to find another moment throughout the season that that really gave me so much anxiety about we may not make it out of the Bundesliga this year. And I think that's only where it came from from that 04 home defeat. And that was that was such a, a, a poor performance from everybody. And uh, that has to be the lowest moment for for the season for me. No, that's one hundred percent. I mean, it's hard not to say that those two game, that two game swing was not a a bad, uh, bad moment for us. It was. Um, the that is definitely one of my two moments. The you know the two losses. The Mainz one was terrible, and then follow that up, which we all thought it was gonna be a fire under them, and they played even worse. Or they, they the result was worse, I should say, for nothing, and then the whole Tedesco in front of the Nord Curve. Uh, that was certainly a low point for for all of us, really. And another low point for me was that. You know, we just came off a 5-2 loss to Hoffenheim. We didn't play that terrible. We lost 5-2, five goals given up. And you're going against Dortmund the following week. You got Augsburg after that, who's been playing really well. Leverkusen's been playing really well. Relegation looked like a very good possibility. Uh, we looked at it. We could go into the final match week against Stuttgart uh, in a, in a pl- winner-take-all. And we didn't like the prospect of being in a game like that because we thought Stuttgart probably had the advantage of that, you know, coming from this fight the Bundesliga. Um, and just the way we were playing, we had no uh, nothing that no kind of substance or anything to, that we that could help us. That would give you some kind of optimism. It was just 
uh, it was terrible, a terrible feeling. And then we obviously got the the win, but um, just that. Remember, leading up to that game, I felt I was like, oh my goodness, this could this three game stretch here, it could really break our season. Luckily, we had the win that kind of uh, changed everything. But uh, and then the two draws following that. So, but I just remember that feeling after the Hoffenheim game, and I was like, man, this is not going to end well. I don't want to watch that last game against Stuttgart. I mean, nobody really watched the end of it anyway, but. Um, yeah, that's a it's a bad moment. But overall, I think that the Mainz Düsseldorf thing really was a, was a, the key swing there. And um, Hoop Stevens came in and he did enough. He did enough to sit, to salvage this season. So um, he's gone. We got a new man now and uh, at the helm. Um, obviously, Joachim Schneider came in during uh, during this whole downturn. Um, he was signed because Heidel Heidel left. Uh, David Wagner was announced recently as a new manager. But uh, even more recent, uh, Mikhail Rischke was a uh, finally we, we we were talking about him that you know this is the guy Schneider wants right, and the, the supervisory board kept talking. Jack and I we talked about this how supervisory board didn't want him for whatever reason. Um, yeah, they thought maybe Stuttgart you know they didn't look the whole picture with him. They said you know recently he got fired from them and uh, he didn't do so well with them. So we don't want him. We want to have maybe horse health back or something. I don't know. Um, but Schneider wanted him. Schneider wanted Rischke, and we're like. Why'd you bring in Schneider if you're not gonna let him do what he wants? And finally, they 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 hired him, uh, Jack. Uh, we we got the guy that we that Schneider wanted at least. I don't know if we wanted him, but Schneider wanted him, and we're happy about that because as we talked about, if the guy the guy you bring in wants to bring in somebody, let him bring it in. Let them let him see how this plan right. Hundred percent. It's exactly as you say. If you bring in Joachim Schneider to turn this club around. And then you're immediately challenging him on his hiring decisions. What are you doing? I mean, like, if this is the guy that you're putting faith in to retool and rebuild the club and, and you know chart a path to success going forward, and then the first big name he wants to bring in, you're, you're giving him pushback on that. And it's not to say you shouldn't vet and ask tough questions and everything, but you talk about that supervisory board meeting that happened a couple weeks ago on a Monday or something, and on the heels of that, it looks like there was a lot of resistance to Reschke and there was some resistance to David Wagner as well as a managerial candidate and super confusing from a fan's perspective, in my opinion, like if this is the guy that you're bringing in, let him hire the guys he wants to hire. Um, and that's not me saying that I'm, I'm convinced that, that Reschke is, is, is the guy, but I think you have to give Schneider an opportunity to do his job is what I, is what I'm saying. Um, and then, you know, in, in between that supervisory board meeting and then obviously the, the announcement today or yesterday, whenever it was that, that Reschke's officially brought on, there was, as you say, the, the you know, Clemens Tony's coming out and, and talking about Horst Helt and just, I would like to think that the fan backlash to that on social media hopefully had something to do with that idea going away yeah. fairly quickly and uh, Reschke being confirmed. But um, yeah, I mean, not a good campaign with Stuttgart, obviously, this season, but, um, you know, this is a guy that, that has had success with Bayer Leverkusen in the past, you know, worked for Bayern Munich for a bit. So it's a guy who has a resume, um, and hopefully he can implement, like, a proper scouting department under him, um, something that Schalke really hasn't had for a while, um, you know, an actual proper scouting team as opposed to kind of one guy making some of those decisions and everything. Um, that could be an improvement, and I'm 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 totally willing to give him a shot to see what he can, what he can accomplish this summer. So, um, like I said, I'm not a hundred percent sold that he's the right guy, but I, I, I am convinced that if you hire Schneider, you need to give him an opportunity to do his job. This is the guy he thinks is the guy to do it. And, uh, let's see how it pans out. Dave, um, 
so now Reshke is going to be the technical director. Jochen Schneider is going to be the sporting director, and David Wagner is going to be our new uh, captain, if you will, uh, the new manager for Schalke. So with these three at the helm, um, where do we see or where do they need, where do they, do they need to focus this summer as far as the squad goes in terms of weaknesses, right? And it's, it's, it's hard not to pick the whole team, right, because there were a lot of areas that were lacking. But uh, in, in your judgment, your assessment, what do you think is the uh, area that those three gentlemen need to focus in uh, going forward. Yeah, it's definitely a diff- difficult situation that they're walking into after, you know, two last year, finishing 15th this year. And just real quickly to Jack's point, I mean, uh, front offices get weird, right? I mean, you, you bring in executives such as sporting directors and scouts and all that stuff and you, and they sort of get the backlash that sometimes a manager doesn't say so you bring in David Wagner, usually for the most part, Boards will let managers create teams and bring in personnel and players that they want. It's not always the case when it comes to like a supervisory board or the talents and the scouts and the sporting directors. And you sort of have that dichotomy. So if you're as as a club, if you're going to give Wagner the chance to bring in his own players, why wouldn't you? And to Jack's point, let Schneider bring in somebody that he's comfortable with, someone that he has a history with, and someone he's comfortable doing dealings with. And I think. Sometimes front offices of clubs don't think of it in that terms where they're a little bit more sided towards the managers. But with that said, I'm also a little bit apprehensive when you look at the squad because I've personally seen teams that I follow that have gone through relegation battles where you have a new manager come in and players that were absolutely terrible one year are completely revitalized under a new manager. I mean, you can look at Harit. Yeah, had a terrible year. Uh, Mark Uth probably... Definitely didn't have a good year. I mean, two goals, uh, a couple yellow cards along the way, just not playing at his best. And I'm reluctant to make those decisions to say that person needs to go. We need to improve in this position because I don't know where Wagner uh, Wagner wants to improve. I'm not sure exactly what players he wants to bring in. And perhaps Sebastian Rudy, average season, maybe he thrives under him. I'm not sure. And so I think if we look at our depth and what we have coming in, Yes, we need a little bit more help at the striker position. We need someone who's a little bit more decisive that can make really good decisions that's a little bit aggressive. I mean, I love the work rate of a lot of our players, but we need production at the end of the day because that's the one of the reasons we're sitting 15th is because we only got, what, 14 goals from our strikers. That's not good enough. No. That's Caligiri got half of them, you know, and that's not a good sign. <laughs> He's a freaking right, right back. And, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's absolutely insane. And so, I mean, if you look at just the numbers, you know exactly where to to improve in. And I I think definitely that right back. I'm not sure exactly the system Wagner is going to set up exactly. But if you're going to roll with a back four, we need to secure both that left and that right back spot, because I don't think we've made proper replacements throughout the years. And especially as we've had players go out on freeze. We haven't really got that talent to fill those voids. And so it's, it's kind of hard for me, honestly, to, to say exactly where we need to improve. But I'll, I'll be interested in the first couple games, uh, the matches, to really see what Wagner is doing with these players. Because once you get a player that's in a system that he can succeed in, he, he can be con- completely revolutionized. You're going to have those players that fall off and are going to get transferred out on the next window or get pushed to a reserve squad or a, squad or a U23. It's going to happen. Um, but it'll, it'll it'll be interesting to see see exactly what happens here over the the next couple months. It's one thing we all know David Wagner is going to do something right. He wants to do this heavy metal type uh, Jurgen Klopp type uh, attack. He did it at Huddersfield in the beginning. 
Um, I, if I remember correctly, I remember seeing some tactical stuff from uh, from Wagner, and he does kind of like a four-two-three-one. So uh, it's four with the two wingbacks that, that press up high, which we kind of have those wingbacks already uh, to to an extent. Uh, he likes a double pivot. One guy's a defensive midfielder, another guy's a playmaker. You know, Rudy could probably fill in one of those positions there, maybe with uh, maybe a McKinney or somebody I don't know. And then he likes to play three three attacking midfielders with an, a lone striker. You know, with with those kind of tactics, we may have some players that are there at least depth wise that could uh, fill the void. But you knew with a new manager coming in that he would bring in some of his uh, his players that he's that you know are tried and true to him. Um, a couple of names already been listed uh, is a goalkeeper who's uh, Wagner has gone on record saying that he likes a goalkeeper that uh, moves the ball with his feet, is very well at passing. Obviously, he has to be a good shot stopper, but you know he has to be very good with his feet. This kind of lends you to believe that maybe Nubel is the guy who's going to be going with the team going forward, uh, assuming he doesn't get bought out by someone like Byron or something um, over Ralph Fairman. Uh, so a, a name that it, who's going to come over well, what they're speculating right now is the guy, the goalkeeper from Huddersfield. That's Jonas Lossel, who's a very good uh, sweeper keeper. Also, uh, ha- is very good with his feet. Um, another name from from Huddersfield that they're talking about is Matthias uh, Zanka Jorgensen. Is another midfield or defender uh, who could possibly join the team. Uh, some other names of people that he's played with that he's that that he wants on the team. Um, uh, what's the, the, the guy's name? Hold on, I got this name. Um, defender from uh, Hanover. Uh, Valdemir Anton, and one of the questions we got from the listener questions was, who would we prefer in defense, uh, Valdemir uh, Anton from Hanover or a former a former Schalke player, Khan Ayan, who had a really good year with Dusseldorf? Um, before we go any further, do you guys have a preference with either of those defenders? Both defenders had a pretty good season uh, this past year uh, in the Bundesliga. Do you guys have a preference of either? I... <laughs> I guess Ion, just because it's a former Schalke guy that we're familiar with, um, who we got rid of just as he was starting to get his first team opportunities. I'm not necessarily sold that either of those guys is the answer, and I do think that we need to be somewhat wary of you know all the rumors that we're hearing right now, people that we're going to bring in. Speculation. I mean, so that's that's from relegated Huddersfield. That's from Hanover. I mean, the... the I understand that when teams go down and everything, some of the better players get picked up by larger teams to remain in the Bundesliga. But I think if Schalke really wants to be the club that we all think they should be and that they think they should be, we need to be getting players from better teams and not teams that are getting relegated constantly. Um, right. We picked off some from some people last summer that either big clubs didn't want or smaller clubs we, we got from them. Didn't really go as as well as we wanted it to go. Um, and so I think we need to be careful about that strategy going forward. Um, and even, even Reschke technically falls into that boat because of, you know, yeah. him being a sticker and they got relegated. So I understand that, but like you bring in a relegated sporting director, a relegated manager, and now you're trying to bring in a bunch of relegated players as well. It's kind of like, what are we doing here? So, um, and, and once again, I, I think that David Wagner is a great hire, and I, I think that we need to give Reshki the benefit of the doubt. But I would just kind of, I, I would like to set our sights on the transfer market a little bit higher, if possible. And I know there's financial constraints to that, but I would like to dream a little bit bigger in the transfer market. Yeah, I think it's fair to dream bigger when when you look at players that are 
not haven't been playing in Bundesliga two for the last couple seasons that are constantly in flux from bottom table of top flight to top table of second flight. And also I would really like to see players that are getting regular playing time at their national club. Not to say that that's necessarily a differential between being an, a great player and an excellent player or an average player, but I, I'd like to see them getting looks. I mean, you can look at Anton. He's had 11 caps with the German U 23 and a, a ion. Um, he's, I mean, he's, He's been he played for Turkey. He, he, you know, he's got 20 yeah. some odd caps or something like that. So, I mean, you're getting up there with with a cap base. But at the same time, I'm with you, Jack. It's like once you start in this battle of we, we have to stop thinking that, OK, 15th was where we're at. And that's where we should be looking at players. We have to think big because a couple years ago last year we were we were second. And then we were thinking about other clubs were coming and looking at our players going to PSG and going to other other nations to play. And I, I think we have to think a lot bigger than just what's right in front of us or just who Wagner has coached in the past. I think the the big unknown is what kind of budget are we going to have to spend, right? Um, obviously, we got a new new directors in here that we're hoping that could that want to bring in new players, a new manager wants to bring in new players, but what kind of budget are they going to give us? Um, I don't foresee a lot of money. The, the, you know, the only good thing about having a guy like Ion or or even or even Anton or whomever, they're not going to be that much money. I mean, you're looking at maybe max ten million euros. Uh, Ion's going to be, I think, four and a half, four mil, four million euros if you were to hire him. So maybe that's maybe the way that the reason they're looking at these players who are you know quote unquote relegated or whatever is the fact that they're um, they don't have much money to spend and they gotta they have to be resourceful with this. Um, but I think it's going to be once we figure that part out, it's, then we'll know what we got. But you know, Oli Oli Schneider knows what the, what the deal is with that. Um, I know Weston McKinney Workrate says, uh, "Better hope the club finds a few extra Deutsche marks in an old file cabinet to make some big line, big time purchases this off season." And I think he's right. Uh, we unless there's some money that yeah, Tony's is hiding away somewhere, or Schneider brought some over from RB Leipzig. Uh, I don't expect us to be spending too much money. We're gonna have to. Re- the only the only option, the only real option is we un- offload players, get money from there, and then use that money towards new players. Um, you know, if we look at the if we look at the the current squad, right? First of all, who do we think stays, Fairman or Nubel? I doubt both stay. Uh, Dave, since you're the guest. Who do you think of those two stays? Yeah, I, I think Nubel stays. I think he plays well into what Wagner wants and what I've seen as a uh, watch in Huddersfield Town over over the past two years, just kind of getting a feel for him. I, I think Ralph Fairman is as good as he is. I think we have learned his path and his place in the club. So if anybody's going, I think that speaks to your point a little bit, Richard. Uh, I'm not sure exactly the wage bill that Fairman has on the club, but that could be something. He, st- he could still be a starter in the league. I just don't think it's going to be at Schalke, but I think we can relieve some of those wage bills that, that fall on Schalke with him going. How about you, Jack? Well, I think th- I think that the conversation maybe a month or two ago was – Nubel's the goalkeeper of the future. It's going to be Ralph Fairman that's probably going to be departing because he still definitely has first-team football left in him as a starter somewhere else, uh, despite his struggles this season. But then the last two weeks, all you're hearing is these rumors about Nubel potentially making a move to Bayern Munich this summer, um, which would be really frustrating if we lost him after literally half a season of football. Um, I would be angry about that. So uh, to me, it's kind of a toss-up. I mean, I would like to think that Nubel's not going to leave, but uh, we certainly can't get rid of both of them. And uh, if Nubel does leave, then we need to go buy somebody because, I don't know, uh, losing both of them would be would be big trouble. And I'm 
I'm not sure who it's going to be. Um, yeah, I, I, I think if we sell Nubel, then they'll probably hold on to Fairman or try to, unless he for some reason feels slighted that he was benched. But I would like to think that he would, you know, he's kind of like a club guy through and through and would be okay with it. But if if Nubel, I mean, if, if Fairman decides to leave um, at some point in the very near future, then we definitely need to do everything we can to hold on to Nubel and not sell him this window. Yeah, I mean, we definitely want to have at least one of them. We don't want to lose both of them. Um, I, I think it, uh, at this point, majority of fans, while they love everything Fireman's done for the club, I think it's time to move on to with a younger guy with Noble. Uh, he has a little bit more um, passing ability, good with his feet. He can uh, help the play and, and, and the kind of style that Wagner is trying to, would, would want to implement in the team. So, um, But we, do, we definitely don't want to lose both those players. Uh, Michel Langer uh, signed that contract extension, but, you know, whoop-de-doo. It's, it's good to have him, uh, someone there, but he's not going to be threatening for a top spot here. And moving to the defense, um, we know Jeffrey Bruma is gone. He's, well, more than likely, uh, he's on loan from Wolfsburg. We would have to, we have the option to buy him, but I don't really see it, especially how he didn't make that many appearances toward the end of the season. Uh, Jonas Carls is a youngster. Hamza Mendiel, he's probably not going to be here next year. Uh, Matina Stasic is an interesting one. Uh, Bastian Ochipka, Sasha Ritter, Salif Sane, Stambouli, George Timoteo, and uh, Vieman. Um, of the defenders, who do you think is going to go or should go? Uh, Dave, we'll go with you. Yeah, this is a tough call. Um, if, if we're rocking with the 4-2-3-1 that Wagner is wanting, I mean, you obviously think of uh, Nastasha and Sané, if we, if we can hold on to him, is ha- having that key central defensive um, back role. And you're right, I think Hamza Mendil, I think he goes on loan. I, I'm really intrigued to see how Ochipka factors in moving forward. I'd like to see him stay with the club. I think he brings a lot of a lot of energy, a lot yeah. of um, a lot of um, tactical astuteness to the game. I think he's it's probably what ranked third in time in minutes played just with our defenders. And I think I think the only one one that's out there is Stambouli. Not that I want him to go, but I think he could be the one. I mean, yes, we if we're going to go with the two-back system, we're going to need that backup, so I can see him getting a lot of time. But um, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm struggling there to really see a need to get rid of any of them without even perhaps bringing in uh, someone with a little bit more aerial presence because I, I think we lack that a lot and maybe have that identity and that, that height that goes along with Salif Sané so we can pair with him. Wow, good good stuff, uh, Jack. How about you? Yeah, I saw that uh, our buddy Carl's Jr. signed his first professional <laughs> contract officially just the yeah. other day. Um, but uh, yeah, I think we need to be as far as the defense goes more focused on buying than selling. Um, if if Wagner decides to play, uh, you know, a back four that's going to have two center backs, then I think we should hold on to what we have. Because ideally, Nastasius and Sane would be those central guys, and then maybe you can plug somebody in. But uh, if we're going to be playing a, a three-center back system, we absolutely have to buy somebody going yes. forward. Just just for the purposes of depth. I mean, I, th- I think not getting rid of Naldo was a bad idea just because if we had injury trouble, like, what are we going to do? Um, but, uh, I mean, listen, Stan Bui had there, there's benefits to him being in the back line because he, he definitely brings a calming influence with his passing ability and everything. But I don't think that Stan Bully is the answer at center back. I think he's a guy that can, you know, fill in and do a job for you if you're in need. But if Schalke are truly aspiring to be a Champions League club, he is not a Champions League caliber center back. And he's not going to be a guy that you can play at that position, I think, every week. 
who's going to help you qualify for the Champions League either. Now, I don't want to get rid of him because I think he's one of the guys that actually cares a great deal about this club and was is a consummate professional. And you didn't hear any issues yeah. with Stan Bowie this season. He was one of the guys that was trying to be a leader this year. And I respect the hell out of that. And I, and I like him as a player. And I think he's, he's a gadget guy that can fit into a bunch of different roles. I think he's an important guy to keep in the squad. But I do think that he's not a long-term answer at the center back position and that we need to strengthen there. Um, now, Timoteo, if that's the correct way to pronounce it, um, I'm not entirely. Sounds good to me. Entirely, yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, okay. Haven't seen a ton of him yet. I mean, we saw him in Stuttgart and I thought he was fine. Um, I would need to see more of him to decide whether or not he could, you know, be an answer long-term, but um is this going to be a window where we just promote a lot of our young guys and say, hey, this is what we're going to roll with for the next year? I don't know. Uh, you know, the capture media is a great weapon for us and has been for a long time. But, you know, if you're if you're a club like Schalke, you can't rely on that. You also need to you need to pick your moments to bring those youth players through and you need to buy some people as well. Um, yeah, it's tough. I mean, I, th- I think I think the is probably the most consistent. Would anyone argue with that? Oh, the think guys is maybe more consistent. I mean, <sighs> I feel like I don't notice Nastasic making the mistakes. There, there's been times where Sané has done things that I think were questionable. Um, I still think it was good business to grab him. I don't think he had the campaign he wanted to, but um, a lot of it's just contextual. The whole team was playing poorly. I don't know. Um, I'm kind of rambling at this point, but go no, ahead. I yeah. find yeah. Sané seems to be, in my opinion, he always seems... Not always. He seems to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Whether he hasn't tracked back to his defensive position or he stayed too too long in the box or he pushes too far up into the midfield. And that's why I think I've, I've always just been a little bit uncomfortable, not unhinged, but just a little bit uncomfortable seeing him in that position because I, I know he can, he can be a presence in that box. He can, and he, he obviously played a ton of minutes for us this year, a couple goals for us, but there's just something about him that just makes me uncomfortable. And I think, as you said, having Nastasia as that calming presence next to him, I think he could be that veteran center back that really teaches Sané some things. Because I, I'll, be, I'll be honest, I mean, when Sané came in, a lot of us were excited, but I was apprehensive. Like, hey, he's this untested center back. He's played at the national team level. He, and it's, it's something about him just has always got me a little uncomfortable. And so I, I'm, I, I side with you there, Jack. Yeah. I'm definitely willing to give him another shot. I do think there was times where Sané always seems to be the guy like we let up let up a goal and he's the guy looking around like, you know, what are you guys doing? But like a lot of the time it was maybe him that had something to do with it. Um, right. I don't know. So I'm definitely willing to give him another shot and I think he still has potential. Um, so yeah, I wouldn't want to get rid of Nastasic or, or Sané. I think we just need to buy somebody that can, that can slot in there and either fill in as the third center back or be a rotation guy to keep people fresh for playing a back four. It's funny because I have the opposite feeling that you guys have in terms of the defense. I think uh, not necessarily Sané has been a common influence. I'm not saying that. But I, th- I feel like Nastasic is a red card waiting to happen at times. At times he gets ridiculous with his fouls. Uh, Sané is hot-headed, no doubt about it. But it seems like Nastasic goes crazy with his tackles at the wrong moments and gets a harsh yellow, sometimes reds we've seen in this season. Um, and I've always been like, oh, what, what are you gonna do? I've always backed Nastasic 100% since he's joined Sal- Schalke, and, and then when he signed the extension, you know, I'm thinking, I'm thinking outside the box, and I hate to lose both of them or either of them, but um, if of the two, I would think Nastasic has the higher value, maybe uh, in, across Europe. If he's gonna, if someone's gonna offer us, you know, 35 to 50 million euros, take it. 
you can buy some youngsters, maybe bring in Khan Ayan or some other youngsters for a fraction of the cost and use that money towards the rest of the team. Uh, but only if the money is there. I don't want to lose because I think whether we play a two-back system, or excuse me, a four-back four back, uh, back line or a three-back line, um, you need to have two guys like Nastasic and, and Sané and bring some depth. You need depth more than anything else. So you really don't want to lose anybody. That's the problem. I don't think either of those guys are going to command a lot of money on the transfer market. I don't think we have a player yeah. in our defense right now who's going to give us $20 million or more. Um, I mean, you look at a guy like Tilo Kerr, yeah. who's like 30, 37, and that's for a promising young you know, young player. I don't think – I mean, we got yeah. Sine for what, like under 10, 8 million maybe it was? Yeah. And I, on the backs of his season, is that transfer value going up? No. Eh, I mean, probably not. My hope – yeah, I was going to say, my hope is that Sané, he plays with one of the best defenders in the world with the national team in Kaladu Koulibaly. My hope is that somehow he rubs off on him and we get to like, a fraction of that with with uh, Salif Sané. But that's, you know, that's maybe, that's maybe putting it at a stretch. Um, one of our viewers says, uh, bring Benedict Hovidis back. If he were to entertain that, would you guys take him back, being a club legend and all? I'd take him back in a squad rotation kind of capacity and as a dressing room figure. I think his legs have kind of gone to some extent, and he's not the yeah. player he once was. Um, but if he wanted to come back and finish his career, I'd definitely – I mean, you look at a guy like Sasha Ritter who just finished his career. What did he do all season? I mean, he, he, he got like a cameo in the last game. I think Hovedes would be able to play more of a role on the pitch than he would, so I definitely wouldn't object to it. Yeah. yeah, I'm with you guys. I, I think to your point, uh, Richard, when you say Nastasha seems to, you know, he's red card waiting to happen. I, I would agree that he he makes bad fouls at bad places on the pitch. And I think if you get in a situation where you need to take him off, you, you could have that signing come in. Um, like you said, he's, he has a lot more legs, probably a lot more value. He can play a little bit more time. But if, he, if you need him as a as a as a substitute center back. Yeah, I don't, I don't see probably as we've sort of explored the idea of going out and getting a, a top quality, high profile center back would be ideal. But, you know, certain times you take what you can in the transfer window. All right. So we're going to go real, real quick to the midfield. Uh, there's some names that are probably not going to be with the team next season, but uh, I'm going I'm to list all the players in the midfield. You tell me who should go. Um, uh, so we're going to start with Nabil Bentaleb, uh, Bujaleb, Kalajiri, uh, Fontaine's the youngster, Benjamin Goler, I mean, Harit, Konoplyanka, Mascarel, Weston McKinney, Sebastian Rudy, Schoff, and Serder. Of the names mentioned, who should go? Uh, Dave? Yeah, this is tough. I mean, you look at that lineup, and, and I'm, it's difficult, right? Because you look at such the poor season we had compared to last year, and that's that's the unfortunate downside as I try and compare some of these things. I think whatever happened with Konoplyanka this year, I I don't necessarily see him moving forward with this club. I don't know if Wagner's going to see something different in him. I just saw a drastic drop-off in just his his um, his focus on the pitch, his ability to get uh, creative as he charged those the, that, that back line of the opposing team. That's one player I, I, I could see that's that could be shopped, potentially. And as far as that, I mean, it, it's hard to say. What, what are you thinking, Jack, as far as this, this midfield goes on? It, it's It's... It's a little bit difficult because you look, we're so stacked and there's a lot of talent. I think that somewhere in Louisiana, Ethan at Tedesco time is applauding Dave's kind of Planka comments because <laughs> <laughs> we all know how he feels about kind of Planka. Um, I, I love that he got the cameo at the end of the game just to piss Ethan off. Um, anyway. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
<laughs> uh, well, I mean, so Benjamin Galera's already gone. I think he went to Bremen yes, on a free yeah, transfer a couple weeks ago, um, which I was disappointed about because I thought he had I thought he had potential. Um, yeah. I really wish that Rudy and Serdar had not, and Mascarell to some extent, had not upped their performances in the final weeks of the season because <laughs> it makes this question a lot more difficult. Yeah. Um, because for most of the season, they were thoroughly underwhelming and underperforming, in my opinion. And if you had asked me this two months ago, two and a half months ago, um, I probably would have said, you know, maybe keep Serdar and, and sell the rest of them if you can get money for him, if you could get, you know, 12 million of the 16 million that you paid for Rudy back or 10 million, maybe just do it, take the loss and move on. But I do think that the last couple weeks of the year, those guys turned on a little bit. And uh, especially Rudy, I think showed you a little bit more of what he's capable of. And this is a guy that's been a great player in the Bundesliga before. So uh, it's one of those things. I think when David Wagner comes in and he takes a look at the squad, um, if he believes in those guys and thinks that, he wants them around and, and can do something with them that I'm totally willing to give them another chance. Um, but it's tough. And then, you know, the Bentaleb question is tough too. Um, yeah. This is the guy that we were hoping we'd be able to actually be able to get on the podcast at some point this year. It didn't happen, unfortunately, but um, I think maybe, I mean, maybe Harit, you could argue, but I, I think Bentaleb is, is maybe the most talented midfielder we have, or at least the most well-rounded you could argue. And, but the off the field issues this season, man, are just it's hard to imagine how you can go forward with a player like that. And if he doesn't respect Tedesco and doesn't respect his job under this hierarchy, what is there to suggest that he's going to do that going forward? And this is a guy that's always kind of had a reputation as being a little temperamental, um, you know, a little childish at times. Um, and you wonder at what point he's going to grow out of that. So, I mean. I'm so 50-50 on so many of these guys. I, I don't think the team was good enough this year. I definitely think there's a squad overhaul that needs to happen. But as far as which individual players it is, I think it's kind of like just pick a couple and replace them and see what happens. I'm not convinced that it's like one guy over the other that's really the, you know, the issue going going forward. I think it's going to be hard, and I agree with all, with all your points there, uh, both you guys, uh, it's going to be hard for the likes of Hamza Mendio, uh, Nabil Bentaleb, I mean Harit, guys who've had trouble with the discipline to continue on the team. I would want them to, well, two to three, I would want to say. Hamza Mendil, I'm done with. But um, with Bentaleb, you know, he's uber talented, like you're saying, Jack. Um, and, and I mean, Harit, we saw what he did last year. They The, the potential is there, but with his discipline issues, are with the, the people who are still here from the, the previous regime, are they just going to be like, you know, we're done with these two. They don't want to even take their German classes and this and that, whatever it is, each week. Um, do we want to deal with it? You know, do I want the players here for a talent perspective? Yes. But I don't know. I think our time may have come. I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Maybe Wagner sees something and says, you know what? I want to keep these guys. Let's, let's give them another shot and gives them at least six more months. Um, but, I, you know, based on the current management and what, what's transpired over the last, you know, few months of the season with these with, with these discipline issues, I don't know if these guys have a future here with us. Uh, I mean, we'll see. Um, obviously, the you know when Harit's on his game and Bentaleb's on their game, they're fun to watch. They can just do things yeah. with, the, with the with the ball at their feet. But two names know. I neglected to mention real quick. I, I'm fine if Kanaplianka goes. I think he's just a little bit too one dimensional yeah, and yeah. wasn't able to force his way I'm into the squad enough this I'm season. Um, and then also, but uh, Alessandro Shuff I like quite a bit. I think I he too. works his ass off, and and I think he's an important squad player to have. Um, just to fill in wherever you need him. He can play on the right side. He can play on the left side. And he's going to run. He's going to press. And uh, I, I think he's he's a good glue guy 
to, to keep him to keep the squad. Hopefully he's able to recover from that injury and, and continue his career at Chalco. Yeah. Yeah. Going back to your point, Jack, when you talked about Mascarell and Serdar, and it, it's true, it, it's the tale of, of two halves of the campaign for these players because Mascarell, when he came in, I was like, okay, this is the guy. Like, he, you know, the first half of the season, picked up a few knocks, really in a bad second half. And all right, you're like, Serdar, where are you going to come from? Bad first half, a decent second half campaign. And, and I'm, I'm with you there where it's difficult when you look at, they're both really talented. They can both play that box-to-box position. I'm, I lean a little bit more towards Serdar being the answer than Mascarell, but at the same time, you need a backup at that position. So it's hard because I don't think we really saw the best of either one of those two in their Schalke kit this year. And so it's really difficult to kind of sit back and say, I want that person gone or what's going to happen with the team. It's, it's, it was such a bizarre year in the midfield for Schalke with people yeah. just moving from position to position to, as we talked about, McKinney playing from top to right back to between and Serdar moving forward and getting a couple goals out of the season too and Mascarell struggling. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's a difficult situation to be in, but I don't think we really saw the best of the Schalke midfield this year at all. And that's why it's so hard to make a decision on who we think should go aside from Konoplyanka. It's, it's the lack of continuity in terms of the system week to week. That's such yeah. a problem. I mean, like look at Rudy, Rudy's played in the number 10 position. He's played at the number eight and he's played in that six pivot and Mascarell's played in the, in the deep six and he's played elsewhere. And, you know, as you said, McKenney's played all over the place and it's hard week to week when you don't have guys building momentum in a specific role. I understand being flexible and it's a great uh, benefit to have as a player and you, you're going to have to move things around at some point, but like you just, you got to let people get comfortable and, and build a career in a certain area and gain confidence week to week. And um, that was, that was a massive problem this year. And I think I agree with you. I think Serdar is, is younger and, Showed flash. Richard and I talked about it last week. I think there's a lot of times this season, especially in the second half, where he was kind of fulfilling that Harit role in terms of the guy that would just dribble yeah. around a couple of people and get a foul and, and set up a free kick, that kind of thing. I think he's, um, you know, still young and has potential to grow going forward. The other two, Mascaro's a little bit older, Rudy's older. You know, those are high. I, I, McKenny and Serdar. I think you can you want to keep around probably. I agree with you guys what you're saying about, you know, those three players in particular, how they started out so poorly and then they kind of picked up their game at the end of the season. I mean, Rudy had that freaking one of the best tackles of the season in the Leverkusen match uh, in the box, even though it was all for not with the with the penalty at the other end. But, um, you know, he started picking up his game at the end, Mascarell as well, and Serdar. So it's it's tough. It's going to be a tough call, and I'm kind of with you guys. I mean, Konoplyanka, I'm pretty comfortable with letting him go and then bringing in some guys and keeping some guys for depth. And then if we go over to the forwards real quick, um, I'm kind of – you know, look at the names: Bergstaller, Embolo, Katuchu, Matondo, Skripsky, Toykert, Uth, Haji Wright. I like a lot of these guys. I don't. There's no one in there that that I want to say go. I mean, Toykert, you know, not beginning a chance, and I feel like you know it, it's a detrimental to his career if he stays here. I want to see. One of the questions we got was, do we give Mark Uth another try? And I say, yeah. I mean, he had a hell of a career or a hell of a season with with Hoffenheim before he joined us, with Wagner and his attacking system. Who knows? Uth could be revitalized and start scoring goals again, right? Keep him here. But the, the, the attacking guys, I mean, I love Berkstaller. He may not be the fastest guy in the world. He has the heart of a Shaka player. And Bolo's got the speed. Matondo, we're not sure yet what he can pr- provide. Skripsky had flashes uh, at the very beginning. Um, I kind of just want to see add some quality players that maybe these guys will be like the rotation players and bring in somebody who can uh, really start on the, on the team. But, again, do we have the money for that? I mean, how do you guys feel about the forwards? Yeah. Um, 
Bergstaller had a phenomenal rook run to 2017 right after we bought him in that January 2017 transfer window. He had a decent campaign last year, but we've always said he's not the guy. This is not a guy that's going to score 15, 20 goals for you a season. Um, I, I have no problem with keeping him and having him as a squad rotation player, somebody you can maybe bring on with fresh legs for the last 20 minutes, just kind of like grind a team down or something. But uh, he's clearly not the answer as a guy. I mean, like the very end of the season here, it was in Bolo and Bergstaller. That's our starting forward combination. Bergstaller cannot be that starting option going forward. Um, I think Katuchu is very promising. Obviously he's been bouncing back and forth between, you know, the U19s and the, and the senior squad. I think he's got deserves additional looks. I think we have to hold on to him. Bolo. I still believe in him and what he can bring to the table. Um, and, and I'm willing to give, give Oot another opportunity. He's a guy that, um, kind of inconsistent career, but you know, showed flashes at Hoffenheim. And I think he can, do a job for us. I, I think the guys that we need to probably clear out are guys like Toy Shirt, who just, you know, hasn't really gotten a lot of opportunities. But once again, a lot of that's like if he was doing it in training, he probably would get on the pitch a little bit more often. Skripsky, I don't think really worked out as well as we wanted the two. Um, I mean, Matondo is obviously a slightly different position, more of like a winger and everything. I think he's obviously, when we spent 11 million on, we better keep him around for a bit and play him a little bit. But um, yeah, I think it's some of the, 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 the secondary players like Toyshirt and Skripsky and those guys that you got to clear out and maybe relegate Bergstaller to more of a rotation role as opposed to a, a designated starter. Bring in like one really good player and, um, you know, once again, not some guy from a lower team that had a couple goals here and looked good for a little bit. I know like, you know, Dodi Lukabakio is like... Can we get Toroto from Cologne? <laughs> I doubt it. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, that's, I mean, but that's a position that we need to fix. I mean, immensely. Um, I mean, as Dave mentioned earlier, I mean, you know, Calajiri has half our goals, right? I mean, like, you know, seven, I, I, seven to like 14. How, do we get, how many did we get from the entire forward roster was it 14 or something 14. like that you said yeah and then i mean so clearly that's a, that's a massive issue and obviously the service isn't great and Schalke has not been great over the past two seasons building play and creating chances for open play in the final third so it's not just down to the strikers but that's got to be better it just has to be and um that that i think is probably where we need to make the biggest splash in the transfer market to improve the team going into next season yeah, I agree. I mean, set the record straight. 17 goals from our strikers, and we had almost that from our midfield. We got um, 10, 12, 14. Yeah, we 16 from the midfield, 17 from our strikers. Clear, clearly not good enough. And, and you're right. We need to make a splash. We know that every new manager that comes in wants their striker. They have someone on their radar that can come in, get 10, 12, 14 goals. And you're right. I think Bergstaller takes a back seat. I think Embolo maybe takes a backseat in that. I, I can see Skripsky, as fun it was to see him score his his brace and this year. That was a great moment. But I, I think you may see him shipped out. You could even see him just go on loan. But you're right, those fringe players, Matondo, Haji Wright, how do they factor moving forward into – because if we're bringing in a new striker with a dedicated position of being that go-to guy in Bergstaller or Embolo – get dropped, how does Matondo and how does Wright react to that position? As you said, it's more of a professionalism. It's understanding their role and how to make this team successful. And so I think with you, Jack, I think a lot of the fringe players will be questioned as far as whether we loan them or sell them. But I, I you can guarantee that within this transfer market, Wagner is going to get the guy he wants within his system to work and that we can get 10 to 15 goals from that guy. I'm calling it right here, Anton Griezmann. <laughs> <laughs> 
Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> we have to sell. We have. He has to become part owner if that's if that was a thing. The Harlem Globetrotter himself. There Antoine you go. Griezmann. There you go with a little. Anyway, um, before we wrap this up, guys, uh, each of you give me one wish that you would like to see happen with Shaka this off season. Um, uh, let's start with the guest. Uh, our guest can go first, Jack. Sorry. I think whatever Schalke does in this offseason, the only thing I want it to result in is a top 10 finish next year. Um, whether that's whether that's cleaning up the midfield and trying to figure that out, whether that's getting a striker um, to, to figure out our, our goal-scoring situation, whether that's getting a strong center back that has a big aerial presence, what I, what I want most is an identity moving forward that gives us within that top 10 finish because this year was tough. It was uncomfortable. It was anxiety-ridden. All the supporters and everybody out in the talking heads of football say, the relegation battle's fun. It's never fun when you're in it, right? It's it's good for everybody that's not in there. So I think whatever happens in the offseason, um, I just want that to translate into a top 10, uh, top top of the table thing next year. All right. I like it. Jack, what about you, man? I would like a massive pit to open up under the city of Dortmund. And have them <laughs> just fall down into a crit now. Um, <laughs> I, I agree with I agree with Dave. I, I, there's not one specific player or one specific thing I would like to have happen in this offseason. I just want a series of moves to be made that can help us be competitive. And, and you know, we should be fighting for Europe every season. Ideally, Champions League, yeah. but we should be in Europe every season. Europa League, Champions League, whatever it is, and right on the cusp of the top four. Um, I mean, let's be honest. Uh, second place last year was a little bit overachieving. I don't expect us to be competing for the title every year, but I think we need to be in the mix with Leverkusen, Dortmund, Leipzig, those teams for that position. So whatever needs to take place this summer to make sure that happens going forward is what I'm hoping for. Um, if we somehow get one big name that we managed to land with non-existent money or whatever, that would be cool too. I mean, it seems like every time we're linked to like a player that we really, that, that's kind of like more of a household name that we think could make a big difference is too expensive. Whether it was Dries Mertens, I think last summer was the big one that you kept yeah. hearing about. Um, it was Shakiri was mentioned like a couple seasons ago and that didn't happen either. Just for once, I'd like one of those guys to come in. You know, Dortmund's able to land like Axel Witzel. You know, it, it, we, we don't seem to be able to pull off those kind of moves. You know, the guys we're bringing in are Skripsky, Toyshirt, you know, like guys from second Bundesliga, that kind of thing. Um, for a club as successful and as Schalke and with the kind of revenue that we generate, you know, we're always in the top 20 in terms of like the most valuable clubs in the world. I would love to be able to just land like one, one big signing. At some point, so that's my yeah. wish. Yeah, my wish, my one wish is that you know, I don't know when guys technically the the teams you know resume their their uh their, tra- their training for the following season. I would like the guys to take off you know two three weeks and then get back because uh, frankly they don't deserve a long vacation after the season. Um, yeah, they're probably be- beaten battered, but. They need to get back to work. Uh, Wagner's a new guy here. It's going to be a new style. It's going to be completely different from from Stevens and especially Tedesco. Uh, and I want the guys to come in early to training, be serious, learn these tactics from Wagner, and be ready to go come preseason and and, and the start of the season. Um, the tactics are going to be completely different from what they've been used for the last several years. Really, I mean, if you if you look at it uh, with the Vinesville era and even um, Brighton Rider before that, so. Um, from what I, I've seen and read from from Wagner, that he wants this you know heavy metal type attacking style uh, offense, 
This is not what we're used to. Um, and so the guys need to get ready for this, be conditioned for this. And we heard from Hoop Stevens say the guys weren't ready for the, you know, physically they couldn't pass any, uh, exertion tests or anything like that. So I want these guys to take two, three weeks off, get ready to start season over again and learn these tactics before the season starts and be, be ready to hit, you know, 2019, 2020 with a flying start. Cause, uh, another 0-5 start is not the way to go in my opinion. So, um, yeah, that, those are our wishes. We obviously want all want uh, Shaka to do well next season, much better than they did this year. Uh, this is not good for our heart conditions. Uh, all of our doctors are prescribed to take a little couple games off from Shaka. Luckily, there are no more for for a couple months. So uh, maybe other than friendly. So, um, gentlemen, I think that's gonna put a bow on this uh, long season finale. Um, probably probably lived a little bit better than Game of Thrones. I don't know. I didn't watch that, so uh, we can let the fans <laughs> decide on that. Um, <laughs> uh, we want to thank uh, Shaka Fox Soccer, uh, definitely Shaka, you know Shaka US and all those guys uh, for everything they've done with uh, done with us this season, collaborating, going to the viewing parties uh, all around the US, um, all the promotions they had on their website. Obviously, Fox Soccer for showing the games. I mean, maybe not replays all the time, but you know, uh, maybe not jacking up the prices too. But anyway, that's okay. Uh, they 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 do good product there. But we also want to, for most importantly, want to thank all the 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 fans who listen. Number one, uh, all the guests who've been on our show this season, even you, Critty Smith. Yes, you know, Dorman fan, we're going to give you applause here. Uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, special thanks uh, to Dave Lee. Um, Dave, tell our uh, tell our viewers, uh, you know, what wh- where they can find you. Uh, first of all, what's your what's your what's your handle, and then you know, tell us about your podcast and where where the guys can find you at. Yeah, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at AO Dave Lee, A-O-D-A-V-E-L-E-E. And yeah, my podcast you can find over at thewavesoftech.com. It's a tech variety, tech grab bag show. My father and I have been doing it for, shoot, going on 12 years now. So it's it's a weekly podcast we put out. And if you're interested, uh, International Podcast Day is also a thing that my dad and I put together. It's a worldwide celebration of the power of podcasts over at internationalpodcastday.com. But you can connect with me over at Twitter at AO Dave Lee. Talking all things Schalke, uh, football from around the world, and of course, drinking the scotch along the way. So, love to have you guys join <laughs> me over there. Oh, hey, we're we're all hey, give us an invite. We're coming over. That's fine. We love that kind of stuff. So, uh, thank I you. Got, I got plenty of scotch over here for you guys. Plenty. Jack, I think uh, we should take a road trip. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm down. I'm definitely down. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, thank Be- you. Make sure you guys give Dave a follow, um, both on Twitter and then his uh, his drinking as well. My drink is Empty Jack. Um, I'm sure yours is as well. So um, tell our listeners where they can follow you on uh, social media. Yeah, J.M. Mangan, J-M-M-A-N-G-A-N, not uh, at Don't Hire Horse Delt as it was last week. I changed the handle back. But uh, you can follow me there. Uh, obviously, thanks again to, to Dave for joining us. Second time this season. I'm sure we'll be seeing much more from you on the podcast going forward next year um and uh yeah th- i mean thank you to everyone who listens and uh gives us an audience so that richard and i aren't just kind of shouting out into the void here it's been great uh getting to know the Schalke community on on twitter and everything and i know we have listeners from a lot of different countries so that, that's awesome and it kind of helps make what we're doing uh worthwhile but yeah uh shout out to Schalke themselves for the collaboration we've done this year and uh, of course nbc4 nashville as always 
Yeah, God, God bless you, NBC4 Nashville. Uh, we, thank you to all the people who listen for sure. And I mean, we, even though we are an English speaking podcast, we have listeners in over 50 countries worldwide. So this is, uh, that's awesome. Um, we appreciate it. And, you know, Shalka Nation is a, is a tremendous loyal nation. Uh, and, and we are 100% behind you. And thank you for being behind us. Um, this has been a, an interesting ride this past season. It wasn't quite as good as the last one, but, uh, I think, uh, going forward, uh, we should be some uh, more goals in, 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 in store, hopefully, uh, in favor of us. So um, that'll wrap this one up. On behalf of our guest Dave, our co-host Jack, uh, this is Richard Carmen at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. We'll say until the next podcast comes. Uh, in the fall, we bid you shoes. Shoes.